0: welcome back to another episode of the spooky rip Jean mom i have missed you guys so much um i have been moving i have been traveling to see my family um my husband's family we have celebrated paisley's first birthday i've gotten our whole house fully moved in packed up or unpacked goodness and so, I'm really excited to get back into it. I'm very proud of this episode. I've done a lot of research about it. Um, and so, I just wanted to let you guys know, like, I'm hoping to post weekly now that I'm not working. Um, but I'm not going to make promises because I tend to go MIA for, like, a couple months and then, poof, I randomly post an episode um, that Should have been posted a really long time ago. So not going to make promises, but going to let you know that this episode is definitely going to be a two-parter. I'm hoping it's not going to be a three-parter. I have already tried to record this two other times today um, and either did not like what I said in it or something I said I stuttered really bad. So I'm re-recording this for the third time. Hopefully this is the only time um, or last time. So I'm not going to make promises that I'm going to have it out like future episodes every week. I'm hoping that I can now that I'm not working, but fingers crossed. We'll see um, if you're not doing so. Follow the podcast's Instagram at the spooky underscore rip Jean mom. Um, because I post on my stories different polls sometimes of what you guys want to see. Like I just did one about if you guys after this episode want to see a paranormal um, like episode thing. And then um, I don't know if I quite have the following for it yet. So it might just be something I do before my actual cases. Um, but if you guys have anything that happened to paranormal, um, cult, like leader, like cultish, Um, Or if you had anything, if you ran into a murder, if you've been a place where a crime's happened, like murders happen, stuff like that, if you want to DM it to me over to my Instagram, um, then I can, if I get enough in, I can make an episode out of it. If we don't get enough in, like one or two come in, I can do it before a couple episodes. I think that would be fun. Um, Morbid, Ash and Elena, they do what they call listener tales, and then Spencer Henry with Cult Leader does little leaders and they dedicate one whole episode a month to just that. Um, and I think it'd be cool to hear from you guys of things that's happened in your life that are freaky, cool, weird, whatever it is. Um and so I'm actually we're just gonna jump into Eileen Warnos of Florida. Real quick trigger warning, abuse, incest, and rape are all talked about in this episode. So Eileen Warnos was born February 29th, 1956, and she was born in Rochester, Michigan. Her parents are Diane Warnos and Leo Dale Pittman. Now, Diane was only 14 when she married Leo, and Leo was 18. They got married June 3rd, 1954. Um, Leo was a diagnosed schizophrenic, but they didn't know that at the time he was super abusive towards Diane. It was hard for her to even put clothes out to dry because um, if he felt she was disobeying him or cheating on him, he would beat her. At one point, he was arrested for stealing a car, but at the time, you could either go to jail or opt into the military. So he opted into the U.S. Army. About two years after their marriage, um, which I should have mentioned, my bad, Eileen had an older brother, Keith, um, who was born on March 14th, 1955, and then Eileen was born in 1956 so there's not a huge age gap between them anyway back to what i was saying so after two years of marriage and two months of uh two months before eileen was born diane filed for divorce and that was on november 14 1955. um the army gave her an allowance to use for rent for an apartment in town And when they moved in, Diane actually became friends with a couple next door who had kids as well named Larry and Marge. Now, Larry and Marge ended up getting a divorce. So Marge moved in with Diane and they took turns taking care of each other's kids. One night, Diane said she was going to go out with some friends or on a date and um, she never came home. So Marge tried to take care of Eileen and Keith. Um... Keith was 20 months old Eileen was only nine months but without the money from the army Marge couldn't afford the apartment that they were staying in so she had to move back into her parents house with her kids so she called up Diane's parents her father is Lori and her mom is also named Eileen Britta Warnos, and um she had called them to be like, hey, can you please come take care of your grandkids? Well, Lori was pissed because he didn't want to take care of his grandkids. Even though at this time they had no idea where their daughter was. She was just a missing person. Um, They did take them, though. And then they later on adopted Eileen and um, Keith. Leo, you're probably like, where the heck is Leo? Like, we just thought he was in the army and they got divorced. Well, yes, but then he was arrested for child molestation and went to jail. Um, where he did, in 1969, kill himself. So, Eileen never knew her both biological sets of parents. Um, they did, though, as a child, describe Eileen as artistic. But she really only um, ever received attention when she was acting out. Which was a lot, because she wasn't ever receiving attention. You know, attention. In Born to Kill, Eileen's childhood friend, Karen Gamble, was describing her as a quiet and withdrawn, scared child. And another friend, Don Botkin, who comes in to play in part two of this, um, said classmates would relentlessly tease her. Sue Russell said that she was a difficult child whose temper would flare with little to no provocation. Now, Lori, her grandfather... And her dad, Leo, were also described in the same way. Lori's neighbors said that he was opinionated, hot-tempered, and very unapproachable. Eileen's grandma, who they called Britta, since Eileen and her shared the same name, was described as quiet and introverted. And born to kill, though, criminologist David Wilson said Eileen's crimes could be genetic because of Leo being a violent sex offender. Eileen and Keith were obviously raised by Lori and Britta but they also Lori and Britta had two kids after they had Diane um Barry who was eight years older and Eileen and Lori who are about the same age so when Eileen and Keith were 11 and 12 um Lori and Britta told them about what had happened um that they were adopted and that Lori the aunt and was act well that Lori, the sister was actually the aunt and that barry wasn't her brother it was her uncle um and then they also talked about how leo they didn't talk about leo at all sorry that's my bad they didn't talk about leo at all but they did tell them that they had originally found diane um she had moved to texas she did just up and abandon her kids No longer missing. She just left her kids for Texas. And then when they told them that they were adopted, um, that is when they found out that she had actually remarried and had two other kids, Kathy and Rusty. She would, however, send Christmas gifts. I think trying to make it seem like she was a good parent. In my opinion, she wasn't. She left two kids and started a a brand new family. Um... Lori, the grandfather, would throw the, like, the Christmas gifts out. As a kid, Eileen and Keith would talk about the abuse that they had with their grandpa. Um, Eileen would talk about how he would beat her with a brown leather belt regularly. And, like, he would make her clean it with saddle soap and conditioner. They would also tell the neighbors about Lori beating them. Later on, Lori, the aunt, and Barry, the uncle, would tell people that they were grounded and spanked, but never to the degree that Eileen had described. It is to note, Lori and Britta were both alcoholics. Lori would drink up to three bottles of wine a day, and in the future, we'll get the exact date with the timeline, but in the future, Britta does die of liver disease. When Eileen was a teenager, she ended up committing um, armed robbery and theft crimes. At the age of 11, she would start engaging in sexual acts for cigarettes and loose change. Um, There's a place in the town called The Pits. And that's where, like, it was, like, gravel and sand and things like that. The kids would go hang out there. This is where Eileen chose to do the sexual acts. Um, And there was one time she was there with a boy was going to perform and then she saw that other boys were watching so she ran back home and as she was running away the boys were calling her names when she was 11 or 12. Um, there was a kid in her neighborhood named Frank Tremonti. He was 12 or 13. He was out mowing his lawn and she was riding her bicycle back and forth past him. And at the last time that she went to pass him, she handed him a note and rode her bike home. And it said, meet me at Clark Station for a pack of six. I will suck and fuck. He went and that's where he lost his virginity. In later interviews, Frank said, um... he felt as though his behavior then was partially to blame for her adult behavior that Eileen went through. Other kids at school called her the cigarette pig, which is why parents need to teach their kids not to bully, because that is terrible. So, rumors kind of went around the neighborhood about where Eileen's first sexual experience came from. Gary Kopitz, a kid from the neighborhood, said that Eileen's first experience with sex was with her brother, Keith. Mark Fern, who was one of Keith's friends, said that Eileen told him that Eileen had sex with Lori, the grandpa. Um, he also saw Eileen and Keith having sex, but Lori, the aunt slash sister, said she never recalled incest, but remembered that Eileen and Keith were always angry with each other and they would never look at themselves, like would never look at one another. Keith, though, was described as shy. He was embarrassed by his sister's acts, but he did want to te- want her to teach him about sex. At 14, though, Eileen did become pregnant, and her grandpa sent her to a home for unwed mothers. And then when she gave birth in January 1971, they had her put her baby boy up for adoption. The staff there said that she was hostile to others, um, like the other girls, things like that, and she was very difficult to get along with. July 1971 is when Brita, the grandmother, passed away. And then once Brita died, it wasn't clear in the articles that I read that if Lori threw Keith and Aline out or if they ran away. But after she died, they were no longer in the home. Eileen tried to go live in the woods, but... Um, But they were picked up by the police for running away, her and Keith. And Lori just refused to pick them up from the station. Um, So they put Eileen in juvenile hall and she managed to run away and didn't even try to go home. At this time, while her and Keith were not in the house, they ran away. Eileen, their mom, Diane, tried to have them come stay with her in Texas and they both turned her down. And I can't say I don't blame them. You started a new family with someone else. Why would they want to come to you? Um, so then in January of 1976, Lori committed suicide. And during this time, Eileen met Louis Gratz Fell, who was 69. They married in March of 1976 in Kingsley, Georgia, um, and it was in the Society pages of the Daytona Press. And you might be wondering. Why would she, someone so young, marry someone who was 69? Well, he was a multimillionaire from Philly, and he made his money through stocks and shares with the railroads. Um, on July 1976, they moved to Michigan, and then July 13th of uh, 1976, so like only a few days after they moved to Michigan, Eileen was arrested at a bar. She was hustling the pool table, Um, And she started to fight with the customers. So the bar manager was fed up and he told her that the tables were closed and he was like, you gots to go, my dude. And she threw a pool ball table or pool ball table. She threw a pool ball at his head. It barely missed him, but it did hit the wall in the back. And so he's like, fuck this. I'm out. And he called the police. They came and arrested her for assault and battery, as well as outstanding warrants from the Troy Police Department for drinking in a car. Unlawful use of a driver's license and not having a Michigan license, which I don't know if you guys knew this, but if you are not a resident of that state, but have that, addri- like if you haven't updated your address, you can get a ticket for it, which is crazy to me because we move so often being in the military. It's hard to make sure like we can update everything. It's just bonkers to me. It's fine. I have to get my license updated. I have not done that yet. Um. So... You might be thinking, oh, now she's in jail. So her husband, Lewis is going to come bail her out. Nope. She called her friend. Her friend brought her purse and she bailed herself out with the cash she had. Um, and then three days after she was arrested, so July 16th, 1976, her brother Keith died at the age of 21 to throat cancer. So when she gets back home, Eileen asked Lewis to give her more money. And when he said no, Eileen beat him so he got their marriage annulled. he said you got no you're done you're done you're done and he filed a restraining order eileen pled guilty to the bar assault and battery charge on august 4th 1976 so you know keith died and he and eileen got ten thousand dollars from him um which she you know you would think she would have spent it on an apartment you know getting into a home things like that she didn't she bought a black pontiac couldn't afford it after the ten thousand dollars so it got repoed and then she also bought a stereo system which had no home to be in so she just had a stereo system eileen also went to jail for armed robbery forgery and theft but then in 1986 eileen met 24 year old tyra Ty's, what she went by, Jolene Moore, at a gay bar in Daytona. They um, ended up hitting it off, fell in love, really, really, truly loved each other. Um, And they lived in motels using the money Eileen got from sex work. In Born to Kill, Dr. David Holmes said that Eileen's relationship with Ty was the first one that would have brought her an actual stable relationship. Um, And he said that Ty to Eileen was non-threatening um, and she was affectionate and was very accepting. They were together for four years um, until they crashed Peter Sims' 1988 Sunbird on July 4th, 1990. And this is where we began to get into our victims. So in the four years that Eileen was with Ty, she would kill four men. She killed a total of seven, but dating Ty, she killed four. Which has raised the question to many people, did Ty know she murdered four people, or was she kept out of the loop? The first victim was Richard Mallory. He was 51, and he was murdered on November 30th, 1989. Now, he was um, a electronic store owner in Clearwater but records show he was bankrupt. People described him as a violent man who frequented strip clubs and used the services of sex workers. Um, On December 2nd of 1989, a deputy found Richard's car and then on December 13th, 1989, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. Now, I had said she had claimed Richard had raped her because, with all seven victims, she claimed that they tried to sexually assault her or beat her in some way. Um, and they truthfully do not know what happened. Like, there's no evidence besides with one victim where it would show that they had that behavior. But it also, she has, she changes her story a bunch from her actual like confession so they truly do not know what happened. I also do have quotes that she said in trial about the victims Um, and so I thought I would read you some of them after each victim. So one of her quotes was I didn't want to kill them in my heart but I knew I had to. So the second victim was David Spears. He was 47 years old. He was a construction worker in Winter Garden. Um, And people described him as practical, honest, predictable, and hardworking. It's opposite of how Eileen described him in court. Um, David was still making sure that his ex-wife was financially secure. And um, he was declared missing on May 19th, 1990. Uh, he was found naked along U.S. Route 5th, Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County on June 6th, 1990. He had been shot six times by a 22 caliber gun. And something that Eileen had said in court was, I thought, what the hell you think you're doing, dude? You know, you know, I'm going to kill you because you were trying to do whatever you could with me. And I shot him through the... Through the through the door. And then he was kind of... Went back and I went right through the driver's side. And shot him again. And he fell back. And that's all I remember on that one. It just... It sounds so mean. Like... And that's all I remember about that one. Like just so disposable. You know what I mean? And then... The third victim is Charles Edmund Carscakton. I really hope really I pronounce that right. He was 40 years old. He was a rodeo worker. People described him as a decent human being. Eileen claimed self-defense but later gave statements that she committed cold blood murder. Um he died May 31st 1990 and Eileen said she shot him 9 times with a 22 caliber um gun again june on june 6th 1990 charles's body was found wrapped up in an electric blanket and he was badly decomposing witnesses say that they saw eileen with charles's car um and that eileen had also pawned a gun that belonged to charles and she said i shot him in the back seat and they got out and kept shooting I am so sorry. (laughs) So Paisley was taking a nap and Bailey was downstairs playing video games. And then Paisley woke up. So Bailey went to grab her and the dogs followed him upstairs. And Leia can jump up on the door and try to open it. And that's what happened. And it scared the absolute shit out of me. And I was going to leave it out. And then I decided, no, it was really funny and I was going it, to leave it in. But I'm so sorry if it scared you or was super loud. <laughs> so the fourth victim that kind of make people question is if Ty knows about the murders or not is because of this one. And it's P- his name's Peter Sames. He was 65 and he was a retired merchant seaman. In June 1990, Peter left Jupiter, Florida to head to Arkansas. He was described as deeply religious, easygoing, and considered a real gentleman. Eileen ended up describing him in a much different way during her trial, like she did with all the victims. July 4th, 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida, and her handprint was found on the inside of Peter's car. Now, the reason why they think Ty was involved is because people saw Eileen and Ty go off the road in his car and they were able to positively identify eileen and ty with sketches so when ty found that out um and that the sketches were going around she got super scared and she even thought about going to ohio to see her family for thanksgiving um peter's body has never been found to this day and a quote that eileen said was he tried to get the gun from me and stuff and we're struggling with the gun and everything else and a couple of bullets shot up in the air and I and finally I ripped it away and I had the gun in my left hand and I put it back into my right hand and I shot him immediately. The fifth victim was Troy Eugene Burress from Ocala, Florida. Don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, He was 50, he was a sausage salesman, and he was reported missing on July 31st, 1990. His body was found uh, August 4th, 1990, in a secluded wooded area. He had been shot twice. He was described as hardworking and a respected member of the community. And something in trial she had said about one of the victims was that he physically attacked me. And he was, he laughed, laughed. And I think I shot him right in the stomach or something. I, It's like the disregard. Like, I always want to believe the victim so badly. But she has so much disregard for what she did and no remorse. And that it's like, what the hell happened? Those seven nights with those victims. You know what I mean? Now, the sixth victim was Charles Richard Dick Humphreys. He was 56, and he was retired from the U.S. Air Force, where he was a major. He was a former state child abuse investigator and a former chief of police. Family described him as a family man dedicated to his work. Um, He was sadly murdered on September 11, 1990, and found on September 12, 1990. He was fully clothed and shot seven times, and the murder weapon, again, was a 22 caliber gun. Something she said in court about the victims was, if I made 130, I take 30 and give it to her, meaning tie. Uh, the rest to pay the bills. She always told me, get a motel with a, with a, with a swimming pool, a shuffleboard, and a lounge and store with beer. The problem was I wasn't supporting her as richly as she wanted. The seventh victim was Walter Gino Antonio. He was 62, he was a trucker, had been a security guard, and was a reserve police officer. And people described him also as hardworking. On November 19, 1990, his body was found almost completely naked. He was found near remote logging road in Dixie County. He had been shot four times, again with a 22 caliber pistol, And five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. Something she said was when we were struggling with the gun and everything else, again, he fell to the ground and he started to run back, run away. And I shot him in the back, right in the back. Now things start to get interesting as we go into kind of like the arrest and things like that. On January 8th, 1991, Eileen was bar hopping, and while she was doing this, two detectives, Mike Joyner and Dick Martin, went undercover as bikers to watch her. They talked to her, they even bought her a few beers, and one of the last bars she had stopped at was called The Last Resort, where I read that she frequented that place a lot Other officers even approached her, but Mike and Dick had to call into their local police station to have the officers back off because they didn't know they were there undercover. Eileen, though, was arrested outside the bar because the detectives, Mike and Dick, had learned that there was going to be a huge party at the bar in a few minutes and they didn't want to lose her in the crowd. Um, They did tell her that she was arrested for an outstanding warrant for Lori Grody. Um, Which was an alias that she had used related to illegal possession of a firearm. But once Eileen was arrested, the detectives shifted their focus to Ty, who had moved to um, Pennsylvania to live with her sister and brother-in-law. So a Citrus County detective named Jerry Thompson and then another detective from Marion County, Bruce Munster, flew to Pennsylvania to talk with her. She wasn't charged, but was informed of her rights and then was asked about Eileen. She told them that she knew Eileen had murdered since Eileen told her about killing Richard Mallory. She even said, I told her I don't want to hear about it. And then anytime she would come home after that and say certain things telling me about where she got something, I'd say I don't want to hear it. She told them that she felt if Eileen told her what was going on, she'd feel the need to report her. But if she's already told you she murdered Richard, why wouldn't you feel the need to tell? Um. Then she said, I was just scared. She always said she never hurt me, but then you can't believe her, so I don't know what she would have done. Ty agreed to return to Florida, though, with the detectives. Um, And they were hoping that Ty would be able to get Eileen to confess. So, detectives got Ty a motel room at Daytona Motel. Ty was told to tell Eileen that her mother gave her money to go back to Florida to get the rest of her things. So, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not here to get you to confess. I'm here because my mom wants me to get my stuff from you. Um... She was supposed to say, though, to her that the police had gone to Pennsylvania to talk to her family and that she was afraid that the police would pin the murder on her, meaning Ty, not Eileen. Um, and then for, like, the next three days, Ty would just talk to Eileen through the jail phones. Um, Eileen, at first, was very reserved. Um, she knew that the calls were monitored. She didn't want to say anything that could, you know, could put her into jail forever um but on the third day she finally said Eileen to Ty just go ahead and let them know what you need to know what they want to know or anything and I will cover for you because you are innocent I'm not going to let you go to jail listen if I have to confess I will and then on January 16th 1991 Eileen actually confessed and told detectives that Ty had nothing to do with it and that's where I'm going to leave you for now um part two should be up within a couple of days um I'm hoping to either record tonight when Paisley goes to bed or record tomorrow during one of her nap times or when Bailey first gets home from work or maybe early in the morning when I wake up and he's headed out the door so I really hope you guys like this episode. Don't forget to follow me at the spooky underscore Rip jean mom on Instagram where you can DM me if you have any stories from like serial killers that you want to hear about or if you've had something crime related, paranormal related, anything really that you think would be fun to put on the podcast and I can do it before like the next episode. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. I hope it starts to warm up where you guys are um, and you had a really good weekend. Bye. I love you.